0: There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm so glad you could be here with us this afternoon. Well, it has uh, been a, a great past week. We've gotten some good rain and uh, good things happening up here at the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cape Creek, Arizona. We you know we, we would always like to have folks uh, visit with us. Also, we would also like to know if you're listening to the program and get your thoughts on that. So I want to start off by giving you some contact information and I would love to hear from you. If you were to email me at chrismacy, C-H-R-I-S-M-A-C-Y, at outlook.com, that's one of my email addresses. If you were to email me there, let me know you listen to the program or what your thoughts are, anything you'd like to hear about, uh, I'd appreciate that. We would appreciate that here at the North Valley Congregation. You can also give us a call here, here I am trying to uh, find that phone number off the top of my head. I, why why I don't memorize these things, I'll never know. I should do that, but alas, I don't. Sorry. All right, here we go. Give us a phone call here at the building, 480-473-7611. Let us know that you're listening to the program. Let us know that you're uh, interested in... Uh, Uh, what your interests are, or maybe if you have a question or topic you'd like for us to cover, we would love to do that. And uh, today, I want us to take a look at something from Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Now, I want to start off by telling you a story. Uh, I gave this uh, the other night here at the building uh, during uh, evening services. Uh, A story about a a man in a marketplace in northern India. Where people would bring their wares, you know, trade them, sell them. I'm not sure um, if India uses the term bazaar like uh, they do in some of the Arab countries today. But this fella, he was bringing, he wanted to make some money. He was a farmer and he had trained some uh, quail or pigeon, pigeon, no quail, that he he had trained them. To walk in a circle, what he did was he tied a string to their legs, tied the other end of the string to this metal ring, and put it on these sticks. And they, these quails would just sit there and walk in a circle. So he had these sticks all over the ground. How about 12, 12 of these guys going in circles around these sticks? And I mean, it sounds just kind of silly and ridiculous. And of course, that's probably what everyone else thought as they continued to walk by, not paying any attention to his wares. But eventually, a Hindu man walked by, and if you know anything about the Hindu religion, they believe a, a lot of folks are resurrected back to life, and that some pe- that those pigeons or those quail could be you know relatives or, or people who were resurrected into that life. Uh, and so he wanted to buy all the quail. Of course, the farmer was more than happy to oblige. That sold him the quail, and he immediately told him, "Now let them go." Farmer was like, Are you sure you just bought them all? He goes, Yes, cut those strings. So the farmer obliged and cut the strings off of all the quail, but they continued to walk in circles. They didn't leave. Being a little frustrated, he shooed them, ran after toward them, they took off flying, but they only flew a little way where they finally landed and began to again walk in those circles. ...freedom from their bonds. They just kept going round and round and round in circles as if still tied. Exodus. When we hear that word, we probably think of the second book of the Bible by the same name... ...and it means to leave. It is the story of Israel leaving their slavery in Egypt. But they didn't just leave. God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He rescued them from their slavery... Throughout the Old Testament, that is a repeated phrase. Leviticus uh, 26, verse 13, where God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. The night before God led them out of Egypt, he commanded them to celebrate the first Passover. And Moses said this, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, For by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of this place, from this place, and nothing uh, leaven shall be eaten. Then when God gave Israel his law to uh, to them, uh, the first of the Ten Commandments, there in Exodus 20, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When God commanded Israel to be honest people, and he said, you shall have just balances, just weights, just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God, here it is again, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, Leviticus 19.36. Forty years later, when Joshua called the people to make a decision to follow God, you may remember that statement, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. You know, that's uh, Joshua 24. You know, in that same uh Context, Joshua 24, 17. He also said this, For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Over and over and over again, God reminded His people that they once were slaves. But He brought them and bought them from out of their slavery. Now, when I was kind of going over all this stuff, something popped in my mind. Why why would God do it this way? Why allow his people to become slaves, really, to begin with? Why allow them to be slaves for so long? Why didn't God rescue his people immediately? Now we know how they became slaves. Exodus chapter 1, 8 to 14, we're told that, uh, ju- uh, just as our scriptures re- read, we're told how that happened. Remember the uh, Pharaoh arose, who did not know Joseph and all that he had done, and he saw that the people were mighty and numerous. They, they uh, were worried that, hey, these guys could overtake us, or they might side with our enemies. So they uh, put pressure, they made life hard on them, and eventually you know brought them into slavery and used them to build. But the more they tried to oppress Israel, the more they flourished, and the more they populated. Millions. Oh, they just became so many. Well, When they first came out of Egypt, or came to Egypt, I'm sorry, when Israel first came to Egypt, they were only 75. 75 of them. Centuries later, when they left Egypt, they were a huge nation. Their fighting force, that would be the men who could fight alone, consisted of over 600,000 men. 600,000. And to put that into perspective, think of it it like this. During the American Revolution, when Washington fought against England, the Revolutionary Army rarely numbered more than 20,000 men. In World War II, on D-Day, the Allied forces landed about 156,000 soldiers at Normandy. That's a lot of men. When Israel left Egypt, their fighting force was around 600,000 men. It was Israel's slavery that made them the fighting force that was needed to take Palestine. Now, did God need them to be that? He could take them any any way he wanted. And he proved that. Look at Jericho. But in Exodus 1.12 says, The more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread. Not only did they grow into a huge nation under their slavery, but the harsh work that they were forced to do made them a mighty people who were strong and capable of standing on their own if called to war. So, frankly speaking, it was the chains of their slavery that made them ready to take hold of what God had promised them. Now, when God sent Israel down into Egypt... He sent them there to keep them out of the influence of other nations and lands. Do you ever think about that? You see, the Israelites were never really part of Egypt. The Egyptians were vegetarians. They didn't, they didn't like meat eaters. That's what the people of Israel were. Israel never fit in with the Egyptian culture. In fact, when Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen to live in it, it was because the Egyptians really didn't want that land. It wasn't good for raising crops. However, it was good for grazing cattle and sheep, but not so good for raising crops. And so even before they were made slaves in Egypt, the people of Israel were isolated from Egypt's culture and the gods of Egypt and from the immorality that Egypt and their uh, other nations engaged in. The land of Goshen was on the south side of any region of other powerful nations. This insulated Israel from the ebb and flow of other cultures and other religions. And so, when they emerged from their slavery, they were prepared to be shaped and molded by God. They didn't worship the gods of Egypt. They didn't live the lifestyle of the Egyptians. They were a people that had been set apart from the world around them, and they were prepared to be shaped by God's kind of morality and His kind of lifestyle that He wanted for them. And Israel remained in slavery for as long as they did because, well, they, they never asked God to free them. It's only after Moses was born that we're told in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the, bond, because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help, because of their bondage, rose up to God. Now why would it take Israel so long to ask God for help. Did you ever think about that? Maybe, maybe it's because the people tend to want to do things for themselves, you know? Israel apparently had never gotten to the point, I'm assuming, where they bothered to ask God for help. They seemed to have felt that they could handle all this on their own. But God tells us in James 4, 2, you do not have, you know how that ends? You do not have because you do not Ask. Now there he's talking about wisdom. But I think that's true of, it, of anything. Especially you know if you're in a dire straits or a difficult time, go take it to the Lord in prayer. Essentially, if you don't ask, He'll wait till you do. Until you ask, God will not intrude. You have to want his help enough to ask. And until Israel got to that point that point where they were willing to ask for help, they were still in bondage to their own agendas and their own preferences. And they would continue to be in bondage until they realized they wanted to be free. Until that time, Israel would remain like that group of quail that had been freed from their bondage. They weren't ready. They weren't willing to to have God free them from their slavery. They had to want it bad enough to go to him. Otherwise, you know, they just keep walking in that circle around that stick. Over and over again. Now maybe you're asking, okay, Chris, thanks for the history lesson. Why are you telling me all this? <laughs> well, in John eight thirty-six, Jesus said he would free us. He said there, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, that's why he came. That's why Jesus came. That's why he suffered and he died for us. To free us. And so, if Jesus came to free us, then everything should be wonderful, right? I mean, we should have no problems. Everything should be sweetness and light. No issues at all. No problems. Is that how it works? Are your lives, is your life out there right now? Is your life completely free of troubles and difficulties and hardships? And if you're listening to this on on your uh, on your radio in your car, you know, no, is there nobody cutting you off? Are people driving too slow or too fast? Is well, you know, that's con, that's a constant problem. I always have that issue. Whenever I get into my car, the first thing I need to do is pray. Not only to pray that the Lord will keep me safe, but also pray that I will be patient. (laughs) I am one of those kind of fellows who I want to get from A to B, and I want to be done with the driving in the city. I don't speed. I don't get crazy and have road rage, but I get frustrated. I don't like dealing with traffic like pretty much almost everybody. Life is not always pleasant. Life is not always pain-free. Why? Well, part of the answer lies in the fact that we live in a fallen world. And as long as we live in this world, we're going to continue to encounter suffering. We're going to continue to have trials. We're going to continue to have difficulties in this life. In fact, Jesus said there in John 16, 33, In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Trouble, tribulations, fiery ordeal suffering. Wait a minute. Wait. Is that what we want? Is that what we signed up for? But that's That is how life happens, isn't it? That's what Jesus said would happen. There are many things that weigh us down. There are many things that put us in a kind of bondage. And there may even be times when God will permit us to be bound in chains. There may be times when God allows chains in our lives. And the reasons he would do that to us are the very reasons that caused Israel to suffer in their bondage. Now, I mean, I, I can look back in my own life and see things where I was in bondage or isolated in ways where I did not like it. I, did, I wanted it to change. I wanted it to be accepted and added to the group. And I could not understand why this was happening. And it was like I was in bondage. I mean, it was mainly in high school I was just a runt little kid and no one liked me. I didn't get beat up, but I was shunned by everybody and and it bugged me and it bothered me that even though I was good at speech and debate even though I was good in theater, the rest of the, the uh, kids in those in those areas didn't like me and did not include me and I remember sitting down with uh, one of the teachers once who was part of the, uh, teachers of the speech and debate and he told me that that was one of the The worst classes he had as far as the kinds of kids he had. And now reflecting back on that, it was good that I did not have that influence in my life probably. It was good. Perhaps, maybe, God was insulating me by allowing those chains to continue to weigh me down. Not that he wants those things to happen to me, but sometimes those things need to happen. Look at Joseph and all the bad things that happened to him. Not that God made them happen, but he used those things to insulate, to isolate, to train him and encourage him and strengthen him in his faith and get him ready for what was to come later on. And so the reasons God would do that to us, the same reasons he caused it to happen to Israel. their bondage. Now here are some of the reasons. Number one. God allowed their chains for a time so that they could become stronger. To prepare to take hold of what God wants us to truly have in our lives. One person put it like this. <clears throat> no pressure, no diamonds. Because you know, you need a lot of pressure on like coal and things like that to create diamonds. No pressure, no diamonds. There's a, a thing, I'm sure you all have heard of it uh Post Traumatic Distress Disorder or Syndrome, PTSD or or in this case PTDD, it's a condition that describes people who've gone through such terrible experiences in their lives that it unsettles them and throws their life off balance. And back in 1995, researchers at the Trinity Western University, this is in Canada, they found that such trauma can actually be beneficial if it's handled correctly. They call the phenomenon PTG, or post-traumatic growth. Amongst other things, this is what they found that trauma growth resulted in. Number one, gratitude for being alive. Gratitude for being alive. It's like people who've been in, uh, in airplanes... And man, the airplane—perhaps a, a hole pops open in it, or they, they, when the one of the engines goes out, or it drops lot, and people are scared. Uh, uh, they're, they're thinking they're going to die. And when the plane lands, what do they do? They kiss the ground. Why? They're thankful for being alive. That's post-traumatic growth. There's a positive change in their priorities. I have, I've known people. We've read about it. We've seen TV shows and movies about it. True stories about people who have been horrible people. Not nice to their family, to their wives, or to their friends, or whatever. And then something will happen. Maybe it's a car accident. They come close to death. Uh, they overcome cancer, or they get cancer, and they're struggling through that. And they begin to realize the more important things in life. And so their priorities change. There's a stronger religious and spiritual belief. 9-11 created a lot of post-traumatic growth. After that happened, unfortunately it didn't last very long, but people put up the flag. People flocked to churches. They had religion. They prayed. They came together. Why? Post-traumatic growth. And there's a sense of control and security through their belief in, in God. A greater meaning in their lives, stronger belief in their competence or, or their own self reliance. There's improved relationships, increased compassion. In short, their trauma changed and strengthened them and made them into better people. And one of the things I noticed in that article was that these folks became stronger because of their faith in God. He used the chains that bound others to strengthen the lives of those who looked to God for their help. So number one, God allowed their chains, chains, their bondage, so that they would become stronger. Number two, he allowed their chains to protect them from the things of this world, to isolate them from the influences of this world. I was telling you about how I uh, uh, got insulated because of the theater arts and, and whatnot in high school and what all, happened there with the in crowd I guess I gave my illustration there a little too soon I got it here in my notes in the second one but it's, it fits everywhere but I didn't get pulled into those things I was isolated was it bad for me? well yeah I hated that I didn't like that but in the long run it was better for me not to be part of those things but I leave it to the Lord as long as I look to Him number three God allowed their chains because they needed to be reminded of their need for Him Israel could not free themselves from their chains, and neither can we. Until we ask, our chains will drag us down, even knock us out or knock us down. Someone once said, sometimes God allows us to be knocked down so that all we can do is look up. What I find interesting about the opening of Exodus there in chapter 1 was that God used Israel's chains to prepare them for freedom. It was when they gave their chains to God that God used their chains to free them. There are many who come to the worship service on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings and they just play the game. They view it as a social club. And the worship service has a religious duty. And they don't live victorious Christian lives because they are bound in chains. And they never have never given over to God. Jesus came to free us from the power of sin, from the chains of our lives. But we can never be freed of those until we make up our minds to give it over to the Lord. We have to get to the point where we surrender those chains to him. And once we do that, that which once bound us becomes the source of our strength. Because we will have discovered the freedom from bondage that only Jesus can give us. Don't be like those quail. Don't just march in that circle to the beat of whatever drums nearby you. Be freed. It was for freedom that God freed us, and do not be uh, yoked again to a bondi- to uh, the yoke of slavery. I'm mis- messing that up, but that's from Galatians five, verse one. Don't forget what we have in Christ. Hold fast, hold firm to the blessings we have in Him. Pray about that. When you get home today, open up Exodus chapter one. Read that passage. Think about what God was doing for the Israelites. Don't just read the passage. Think about it. Why is this here for our instruction and example? What is it that the Lord wants me to learn from this? Look at their reaction, the Israelites. Look how God treats them and what he does for them. There's so many similarities between the Old Testament and the New. Because that's why Paul told told Timothy, the Old Testament, the scriptures there are for our example and our instruction, and we ought to use it as such. It will help us in this life. It will help us in our walk with the Lord. It will help us to be a bright, shining light and salt to this world. So I want to thank you again for joining me here this day. I appreciate it. Again, please, get on our website. Go to www.nvcoc.net, click on the radio mic, You'll find this particular program at the very top of the podcast there. Leave a comment, please. Send us an email. There's a contact page on nvcoc.net. Send us an email there. Send me an email personally if you want, ChrisMacy at outlook.com. Let us know about the program. Tell us what you think. And if there's anything you'd like me to look over, study, or talk about here, I'd love to do that. Let us know. Get in contact with us, and as always, may the Lord bless you in all that you do as we continue to redeem the time to make the most of every opportunity. Thank you very much. to sweep away till the better day. Bring it out, ring it out, bring it out till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's Mighty Son. Bring it out, bring it out, ring it out.